Hey everyone, we are back with another episode. My name is Jason, here as always with Brian, and today we're going to get right into this idea on that Brian and I have been talking about for a while, and just tonight we were just chatting before we started recording here, and we realized that it was getting a bit late, so we better hit that record button, but we've been talking about the idea of knowing the Father, relating to Jesus, having our eyes opened to, to a new way of living. But we want to get into this idea of how do we live from that going forward. It, it can't just be cool information that we have. Um, so what do we actually do with this? How do we navigate our world when things are coming at us, things we didn't expect? And we're going to take the next few episodes and really look at some practical examples, um, both of stuff we're seeing today right now and some examples that we can see in history too so last week we or last episode we talked about the uh, the blind man having his eyes open and today we wanted to get a little bit more into that and see how that kind of change that kind of eye-opening moment can impact things and how to actually live from that going forward where i would like this to go you know we could keep talking about all these scenarios and um I love the Bible. I love how it comes alive. There's nothing more real to me than that. And it's, you know, you could sit, I can spend time proving all of the issues of the Bible, of the timelines and who wrote it and the, the archaeology of it and why it was put together. But there's something way more powerful that once you start knowing God and he starts speaking to you, he brings the truths of all those things back up that you've read before. You know what I'm talking about? And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, all this becomes even more real because it's relational. And then you see it play out in your daily life and you see all the truths of those things becoming tangible. And I think this is the picture of the first blind man. So again, I'm not taking, a, it is crystal clear. We could spend so much time on proving the authenticity of it, the timelines of it, the historical precedent of it, the, all, all of those factors. But at the end of the day, it, it can pose more questions if you actually don't know the person who's writing the book and you're not, it's, it's not connecting to you that way. So what I'm hoping is as we go through this next series and we'll get into this on the next podcast is starting to go back through characters of old that we've either discounted, ignored, didn't understand, or try to put them into the box of our current way of thinking. And to, in order to understand what they did or what they didn't do and what they should have done or what they should not have done and how we've lost the richness of what Jesus actually saw when he read the Old Testament. I think this is, it, it, it will really take you to another place. If you could start seeing what Jesus saw when he read the Old Testament. And we'll just slowly unpack that over several episodes and then go through characters of how do we know Jesus saw it that way because of what he did. So what he did is what he saw the father do. And his father is the God of the old Testament and his spirit was working in people in the old Testament, not to the same degree we have now, but that he was. And Jesus saw what his father did when he read the old Testament, because the spirit of God would bring life to that. And so I want to show that whole cycle because it, it makes it so rich. So going going with that, we're talking about the first blind man healed, but I'm going to read something to you. The brain of a baby whose eyes work fine has to learn how to interpret what the, what the eyes pass on to it. 
So when a baby is developing, it doesn't matter what their sensory is, even though their eyes are open and lights coming in and their eyes are working fine, it takes a while for their brain to develop, to begin distinguishing what those things are that is being seen. What, what is seeing? What, what does all that mean? And that's why it takes a while. Like a baby will stare at you, but they actually see your face, but they don't see your face. They hear your voice because it was in the mother's womb. So like a mom speaking to the baby, but seeing her, it takes a while for the, the, the neurons and everything to connect so they could see. So babies whose eyes are functioning still sees nothing until the brain has formed the ability to see through the experience. So I want you to catch that. So this is kind of a, a, a neurological perspective of this. So a baby whose eyes are functioning still sees nothing until the brain has formed the ability to see through experience. So it takes some time seeing for a pattern to be formed in order for that to take place. Are you following me, Jason? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So someone who's been blind since birth and who has abruptly healed won't suddenly see the world as seeing people do. I want you just to ponder this for a moment. Someone who's been blind since birth and who is abruptly healed won't suddenly see the world as seeing people do. His world or her world is formed by smells and sounds and the sudden influx of visual information. So let me say it again. His world is formed by smells and sounds. Okay, so that's how his world, feeling, touching, smelling, hearing. And the sudden influx of visual information won't lead to anything but confusion and possibly a whopping psychosis. So this was a doctor trying to, like, you have never, you have no concept of seeing. And all of a sudden you see. So it's not like, going, oh, there you are, Bill. That's what you look like. The, the brain has to learn all this seeing stuff because even though they're seeing, it's basically a massive light coming in. And the brain is not yet knowing how to interpret all this information coming in. It will leave someone mostly catatonic, but certainly not cheering. So starting to see after a lifetime of being blind is much more mind-blowing than going blind after a lifetime of seeing. Healing a man who's been blind since birth virtually requires the death of the blind person and a resurrection of a seeing person. Wow. I, I thought that was a real profound moment because when we're talking about our eyes being open, you know, Jesus talks about being born again, that you can't see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. And so we are, but now we're trying to define everything we're seeing and experiencing the kingdom of God and looking at everything different. But then when we go to a blind man and have them define what we should be seeing, we can easily either create a different definition or be led astray. This is where this becomes a critical factor. And so, but moving aside, so now that is the stage where this blind man is in. And then he goes through all the conflicts at home. That's just crazy for me to think about. I mean, I'm, I'm picturing this guy receiving his sight. And on one hand, just the, the sheer miracle aspect of it. 
and the adjustment period for him. I mean, it, it, we don't see like in the story, it, it doesn't say he spent the next 10 years figuring out what seeing was. He was kind of brought into something, but that, but that idea behind when you are given the ability to see, you don't instantly know what everything is. And I know this is, is and I know this is a problem that um, they've had with, with developing AI, artificial intelligence. We think it's so easy for to create something that can observe, observe an environment and know what everything is, but you don't know what everything is if you're brand new. So you can see a fork, but you have no idea what it is. You don't know if it's a threat, if it's just something that's there. You have no idea what it is. And I'm thinking of that when it comes to our, our state of being born into this kingdom. So now we're in a brand new environment. We've been given a new identity. We've been given the ability to see, but there is a a lot of unlearning at times that we have to go through to understand things differently. And I think you'd mentioned it earlier, when we look at even the Old Testament, there has to be a completely different perspective that we start to walk in yes. to understand what's really going on. Because we even see at at the time, they had no idea what was going on. They, in certain situations, they did the best with the perspectives they had at the time. But even in the book of Job, we see people with their perspectives and they know that they're right. His friends, they know they're absolutely right. And then, and then God comes in at the very end and basically lets them know, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. And so there's, there's such a development and a shift that has to happen when we're looking at something like this. That's, that's so interesting to see that from a, just a medical perspective. And just just consider what you're you're saying, even with Job, what was his transition point? What what changed Job? He said, now I've seen you with my eyes. Mm-hmm. I've heard about you with the hearing of my ear, but now I see you with my eyes. And it wasn't like he just came in a whirlwind. It wasn't like he saw the full form of God. But as God spoke, his eyes were open to understand things he could never understand before. And that was his seeing. And it changed him. It was, a, it was a transformation point. So it's interesting. The first book talks about the first eye-opening experience. He met God and changed. So it's interesting when we read 2 Corinthians 3, 14 through 17. It says, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day when Moses is read, so this is referring to the Old Testament, the covenant, uh, as in Jesus said in John, you read about Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, and they're all written about me. So Jesus found himself in all those books when he read them. Paul was saying, we can't understand those things unless the veil is removed from our eyes. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. So what Paul is trying to give us is that, yes, we were blinded. And in another passage, he says, the God of the world has blinded their eyes so they don't see. So there is something trying to blind, and God is trying to open our eyes so that we can see. 
And you can't even understand the Old Testament until you have the freedom of who Jesus is and understanding who he is. So you can go back and read it from the lens of how he read that. And it does not change any of the points in the Old Testament, but it radically changes the perspective and motives of what you're reading. And it would also change how you interact with your current environment having seen things in that different light. We were talking about this a little bit before, and I, I really want to get more uh, more into this. We, we look at identity and environment and how the two coexist. And even just taking the example of this blind man, his identity was shaped by his environment in a sense. He, he, had, a, he had a job. He had a way of interacting with the community. His identity was shifted. His mind, his eyes were opened. So now he received something new, but he found himself in the same environment. And it's not always as easy as it might seem for us when your identity is changed and you find yourself still having to interact with the environment that built you up in that old identity and how you interact with it. I think that's where the rubber meets the road for us today, because we can learn all these cool principles and stuff. But then what am I supposed to do with that now? Because it's not as if I learned something and my identity changes and then I find myself in a different environment. Nope, I'm still the same. I'm still in the same apartment or house I was. I still have the same group of friends. I still have the same job. So now my identity is, in a sense, at odds with my environment for a lot of people. Because something has changed, but the environment remains the same. And I think that's the difficult thing to navigate. It falls back on the idea. Who you are from that place is how you deal with the environment that you're in. If your identity comes externally from something else, now in a sense, I'm going to retract my words slightly there. Your identity does come externally. It comes from your father. So it's your, your father is the one who puts your name, your blessing, your inheritance, your identity. This is who you are. It comes from your father. As we look at our father, we can see who we are. It's like a mirror into our life so we can move forward. And so we know that naturally. So no one really goes and finds themselves. Everybody says, I'm just out looking for myself. Well, you're really not because you're going to find some place that makes you feel good. Then they're going to speak words over you and create an environment. So then you're going to say, ah, this is what I am. I fit so naturally in it. But the real question is you had a deep longing to be wanted, accepted, to know who you are, to be solidified, to be uh, uh, solid. And so you still look for an outside source to speak over you. So in a sense, we are externally identified. But if you go to your source of life and he speaks over you, where, which is where that name was to, become, was to come from, it is from there that we become concrete. Now, as I leave my father's presence and step into the world around me, I operate my identity and my actions from that place versus someone who has an orphan heart is out searching where their identity comes from. So, yes. now, when, so now when our eyes are open, we're discovering, wow, I'm living from what I'm not because something brought a truth of who I really am into me, and now I can move forward. This is why Jesus made it clear, I am the way. So he's the path, he's the example, he's the direction, 
I am the way. He's the only way through the gate to the Father. I am the truth. So therefore, people says I'm searching for God, but they don't want truth. You, you can't find them. So for instance, you cannot find the mercy of God if you don't understand you're guilty. You can't understand the grace of God if you don't understand you're shamed. You can't understand the, the love of God if you haven't understood that you deserve to be unloved. I, I know you when I say that you deserve it. Who deserves any of this? Well, that's what happened when sin entered the world through Adam. We became subject to that. And God in his loving kindness and mercy has brought us back in. And now we're part of the family. So, so let me ask this then, going back to environment and identity, because I think there's, there's something, um, there's something deeper that I'm, I'm working through in my mind about that because we see the two differences there. I mean, does environment create or influence your identity? In a sense, we see yes, because we'll see examples of, to just stick with the Bible, we see David and Bathsheba, and we see, oh, if he was just out at war like he was supposed to be, then he wouldn't have been in this environment where even though his identity was what it was, he still did something terrible, and there was a, a, a failure or a collapse. But then we see someone like a Joseph it seems that no matter what environment you put him in, he's going to excel and rise to the top. And so there's obviously there's obviously a connection with environment, actions, and identity, and all those things. It's not they're not just separate boxes we put things in. They work with each other. That's our everyday life. But to what degree does environment influence identity, or maybe not identity, but the actions that flow out of it? you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's this psychology saying, is it nurture or is it nature? Are, are who we are formed from our nature or is who we are formed by how we're nurtured? And I understand both sides of that argument. Um, our core is how we're na our nature, how we interact our nature to the world around us has a lot to do with how we're nurtured. So if we look at it from maybe that perspective, and I'm not trying to give you that, that's just my view of it. So my, my opinion, but I believe our nature was originally in the fall. We came from the lineage of Adam. So there's a sense of brokenness. There's a sense of inferiority. There's a sense of insecurity. There's a sense of shame. Now how we're nurtured in those things are going to shape how we go do our life. Now there's always something there's in every person, a conscious, there's something, a compass that keeps wanting you to go look for your father. That's why there's so many movies that have to add the father plot into the movie or you miss something. There's something missing without the father plot, not the mother plot. It's the father plot. Now I'm not saying there has never been a movie that has been a mother plot. The reason the father plot is so important is the mother generally in our world is nurturing, caring, and is there. I know there's scenarios that that isn't true, but, but generally when we think of mom, that's there. When we think of father, that's very different. So the father becomes first person you are not connected to that either embraces you or does not. That's number one. So if you grow up without, so we're all born separated from God. 
And so now we're trying to find God. And we see this in the life of Jesus as well, totally relating to this. We've talked about this before, is that he grew up with a stepdad. And so he had to go and connect to his real father, which was God. And so that's kind of an amazing picture of how we are today. So we can go on a long ways down that journey, but I want to get to this blind man and how this ties in. So once this blind man knew that he was somehow sin had caused this, he really wasn't denying the fact. It really didn't matter who did it, but he was born into this. He was born into this mess, which is a great picture. We're all born into something right? So we can spend our life becoming victims and becoming angry at everybody around. Like he never created a rebellion towards the Jews and asked people to start becoming disciples when he was blind. He just accepted his lot. This is what I am. Now, I'm not saying he didn't feel like a victim. He probably wondered why this happened, but there was something different about him. It's like, okay, this is what it is. So let's, let's function in it. So he mastered how to live that world like we talked about last time. But now Jesus comes in. And I want to touch real quick on that, the mud and the spit that he put on his eye. That represented the position he was, his identity in that world. Then he goes to say, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which he got there in the manner that he knew how to get there. Because Jesus didn't walk him there. He went there by his hearing, his smelling, his touch, uh, his experience. So his experience, so he, God brought a truth to him and he spoke a word, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he sent him, which is actually what the word word Siloam means. And I, I really, I think it's important to get this, is Jesus is the way. So Jesus is explaining the way and giving him a truth. And the truth had to do with, you've been living blinded by the dirt and the spittle and the identity that the enemy has put on you and your, your world has put around you. So let's get rid of that. So he goes, and actually the word in in Pool of Siloam, where he washed, means to send, to discharge, to send away, to move away from. So basically, he discharged and sent away all that was holding him blind. Now he comes back seeing. All right. And his whole world is radically changed. But it's not that he radically changed. He still has to try to figure out what he's seeing. He doesn't know what a face looks like. He has no concept of any of that. And so he's learning all these new things. So he has this new identity that he's no longer lowly because he has no, he's as bold as a lion to speak to those who've spoken down to him. He's as bold as a lion to go face those who've looked down on him. He's as bold of a lion to go into places he wasn't allowed to go in before. He's as bold as a lion. Why? Because his identity's changed. Like something in him, he knows he's not that person anymore. So his identity is now shaping his environment in a different way. So he's becoming a problem in his environment, but he doesn't care anymore because his identity is overriding the environment. But that process is called suffering. This is when God is throughout the whole New Testament, he's talking about suffering. This is the suffering. I can now see differently. I am now different, but my environment says I'm not. And they have a problem with what I now am. That is the greatest suffering. It leads to persecution. It leads to rejection. It leads to all of those things. It even leads to the enemy doing anything to sabotage who you are. So you step down from that position right there. That is the point. So I wonder if if a lot of people never really think through that in that way. So 
the blind man, he was in a state of being. That That's what his blindness was. It wasn't so much a result of an action. It was the state of being that he was. His state of being was then changed to where now he sees. So his identity has changed, but he's still in that old environment and the two cannot mix. So the identity he possessed could not fit in that environment anymore. So there's a conflict. One of them has to go. There's got to be some give one way or the other. And I don't know if many people ever really have that kind of a moment. I mean, we we tend to think about it as, you know, if I was in that position, I would have the same courage. And that big moment would be what delivered me into a new environment. I think for a lot of people, it might be more of a gradual thing where your identity has changed, but you you try to, or the world around you tries to make that new identity fit into the current environment. And then there's got to be sacrifice and compromise that goes along with it. But if that happens, then what happens to your new identity? If it's just compromising with the old environment that you grew up in, or that was your default before, before, what happens to that new identity? I don't think it can survive if it only stays in that old environment. It has to move to something new, doesn't it? I think where the damage of staying in your old environment is you're still going to listen to the world around you to define what you're now seeing. You're going to go to them like, man, I just had this experience. And then they're going to define it for you. Man, I just feel like God's telling me this. And then they're going to define it for you. That's where the danger of staying in the old environment is. But if you can override that, you can actually influence and change that environment. So I'm, I'm careful to say that you need to change the environment. But with the blind man, he no longer cared if he was rejected. Something radically changed on the inside of him. And actually, when we talk about light, being able to see, it's actually resurrection life because Jesus says, I am the light of life. And so when we see or this impact happens, you, it is a death of the old and onto a new. And that whole story shows the death and the new. So maybe a clarification then the environment isn't necessarily, you know, you need to avoid going back to your hometown that you grew up in, but in the sense of, let me try to interpret this new identity based on the old environment. Like we looked at, there were certain people when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, they took that miracle and took it back to the Pharisees to, to tell them how they should interpret that. And the same thing with, uh, there was another story or example that we used within the last few episodes, but well, even in the blind man, they took him immediately. They don't discuss, celebrate him seeing, they take him back to the Right. And so trying to interpret something new in that old system, in that old environment. But I think it is important, like you said, to that the identity, in a sense, overrides the environment, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're not, you don't have to live under the influence of the environment around you. Because well, if that is the case, then aren't you just setting yourself and anyone else up for absolute victimhood? If the environment around you is going to determine everything, then you are going to be a victim of your environment no matter what. Yeah, especially if we run from one environment to another thinking that environment's the thing that's going to affect us. If we're not going from our Mm -hmm. identity. So in a way, the blind man left his environment and went into a new one following Jesus, correct? So we know that's a true statement. But Jesus didn't come and say, just pull him out of that. 
when his eyes were open, he had to go back and he outgrew his identity, outgrew the environment that he was in that forced him outside of the walls. And so I think there's something really important about that picture. And I'm, 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 I'm holding a little tongue tongue in cheek because I can already think of, well, what about this? What about that? I think the real deeper question is when our eyes are open to him, you will come to a place that your identity cannot come from the world around you. And when that becomes a settled resolve, it frees you to function in any environment. It's how Joseph could function as a slave. He could function in the prison and he can function as the leader of Egypt because his environment did not determine his identity. So to what degree is that kind of cut off? So when, when I think about that, if, if the world around me cannot be the source of my identity, absolutely, we all agree on that. Well, then that also means the people around me can't be the source. But to what degree can they influence or add to or supplement or maybe not supplement the identity? But I mean, good luck getting through life without letting someone else's opinions affect you at all. To some degree, I think we can. But as we've talked about in previous episodes, there's there are people that influence. And the closer someone is to you, oftentimes, the more influence their opinion or their words have on you. Give me an example of someone influences you that's around you. Well, so or, I was, I was or you can do hypothetical. You can give, do the, I have this friend. Okay. <laughs> no, I really, I actually really do. That's the funny thing. There's a, a buddy of mine I was talking to at church within the last couple of weeks here. Um, actually, it might have been a month or so. It doesn't really matter. Um, but they're, they're going through a really rough divorce. And he was saying that it's, he's heard this message of identity for a long time. And he's kind of at this place where it's, it's one thing to not let the world or friends from my past influence what I think about myself, but it's another for my spouse or former spouse to say I'm being a failure as a husband, as a father, because their words cut really deep because of the relationship that's there. And it's a lot more difficult to, to hear that from them, even though they're separated now, it's a lot more difficult to hear that and then hold fast to my identity in Christ and in the father than if, you know, a friend I knew five or 10 years ago were to look at me as something different or try to label me as something different. And so I think there's, there's degrees of influence on that, but it's not always as easy as, well, you know, just don't let other people's words affect you, right? There's something deeper to it than just that. It is as simple as that, but it is not easy by any stretch of the imagination. So let's just kind of break down your friend's experience. Um, and just for those listening, I know this is Jason's friend, not Jason. <laughs> but it's fun messing with him. This so is how this rumors is, get started. Yeah. Always by jealous people. So anyway, let's get back to this. Um, so your friend in that experience, um, there's this, there's, there's two parts that are going on. And, and I don't want to spend too long on this because I want to get to the point of how Jesus saw the people in the Old Testament and how he viewed the characters and how he saw his father and those, those things. But I think what's important is, number one, 
if Jesus is the way, that means, again, we know that he's, he's that path. So we're, we're coming to him to bring an answer to this, to how do I navigate this? How do I clarify this? Then he goes and he opens our eyes by being born again. And one thing he does, he clears off all the dirt, he clears off the spit, he clears off the identity, he clears off everything that is a part of us that is, that has brought about a lot of our decisions, a lot of our ways, and he lifts us to a new position. Okay. But it has to be based in truth. So the hardest part is even in that scenario, when you can come to an honest sense of it might not change the outcome, but you can recognize the truth in that situation. You can recognize the truth of the, the father, like even with think about all the different scenarios, like you, you have, uh, the woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus didn't say to her, Oh, you know what? None of this is really that big of a deal anymore because the old Testament's kind of like passing away. So you know what, this is all going to be okay in the future. So just hold on a little bit longer and you won't be sinning anymore because we'll just remove the issue of it being sin. It just won't be sin anymore. Right? That is almost how we bring about our eye-opening experience. That's how the enemy does that. Like, we recognize this is still wrong. It's still a wrong thing. But God is not letting us look at it blindly. He's opening us and lifting us up to his position, freeing us from the guilt and shame so we can look at it, but it's still what it is. Does that make sense? Like, Mm -hmm. even when we're dealing with this, so now back to, I'm going through this divorce. This is what my, my family is saying about me, and it's crushing me. I don't know how to live for my identity. I think there does need to come to a point where you're not, saying I'm this lowly piece of garbage dirt, but you are recognizing the truth. So that way he is the way and can open our eyes. Then as he starts lifting you, there's going to be decisions you need to make. It doesn't mean that we ignore the fact we may have come done deep harm to someone else. Now God's freed you, but the reality is we do need to have mercy on the people that we've damaged. Or have mercy on the ones that have damaged us. Because at some point down the line, in our fallenness, we've done something to somebody to cause harm, and we've never gone back and apologized for it. Uh, Just in this scenario. So I'm just trying to bring about this picture. So now we, we have to recognize the truth. But then he says, you know, like you told the woman, go and sin no more. And otherwise, stay at this higher place. I'm moving away the dirt. You can do that because you recognize what the truth was. So he changed you and raised you up in correspondence to the truth. He didn't change the truth to make you feel better about where you're at. And I think this has to be a very critical point. And it, it, is, a, it is the humanist philosophy in our world is we're going to change the truth to make you feel better about where you're at. Jesus does not change the truth. Jesus says this is the truth and it won't bend. But I'm going to change who you are in correspondence to the truth that you can live free. I think that's a great way to explain identity and environment interacting because you can't just change the truth. And I think that also goes into perspective when we're looking at these these, um, characters in the Old Testament. Truth hasn't changed, but your perspective can be corrected for one. 
And instead of seeing something through an old wrong perspective, being given new sight, now you see things more clearly. Now you actually see the truth and not our flawed theological buildup of interpretation based on our culture and our society, the way we want to look at things. Because that's a big difference. Well, it's a big difference. And even going back to that idea from culture, this blind man actually started following the way before he could see. You see, the moment he went and walked to go clean himself at the pool, he was violating the law of the Sabbath because it was the Sabbath day that he did it. So he actually was choosing to violate the law to go do the truth of, he didn't know even know who was talking to him, but he knew those words were true. So he just went with it and he was willing to break apart from the opinions and the cultural ideas to do the right thing. So he started seeing before he started seeing because he saw the way. He saw the way, but he didn't know what it meant, how it, how it was going to go, and he saw the truth in it. And there was something life-giving in it. Yet it went against the grain of everything. So I think this is a very important thing that even as God's speaking to us, when we look through the Old Testament, these characters, there's things we're going to say, oh, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they did that. Why would they do this? Why would they do that? You have to put yourself in the framework of the world that they were living in and watch how God opened their eyes. And now you see this marvelous journey of their lives and how it's affected our life. We are positively affected by their decisions in that journey. And had they been fixed or corrected based on what we think that they should do, it wouldn't work. I mean, I just want you to ponder if that blind man would have gone and asked someone, uh, excuse me, Rabbi, it's the Sabbath, but I need to go wash this blind, this, this stuff off because this man put it in my eyes. What should I do? He probably would have handed him something that would have made it legal for the time and said, on tomorrow, you go do that. Well, he would have missed the whole miracle. He would have missed everything. So then, Brian, what are you saying? That I should just disobey? How, how am I supposed to function in the world? Do I just do whatever I want to do? No, this man wasn't doing what he wanted to do. He was doing what the truth was telling him to do. That's the bigger difference. And he knew in his heart, this is the right thing to do. I don't know what's going to happen from it. I know the risk of doing it, but whatever's been done before, you've lifted me to a different place. And I'm just going to step in my identity. So his identity took him to the pool and then life began to change, and we see the ramification. I think, I think the difference to tie it into someone who is trying to rebel against a system or, or rebelling or just going to do it their own way, they believe it, it's not coming from truth. It's coming from their feelings, their emotions, and what they think it should be, and they disagree. And I think there's just a big difference between here's a baseline of truth, and I start changing. And you, you, again, you see Esther, you see, um, uh, you see Noah, you see Joseph, you see uh, a lot of these characters that uh, you see Elijah. There, there's characters that their identity and who they were to God, that God's view of them is the, was the highest over anything else. But God's view is not just disruptive for disruptive sake. 
it wasn't just so you can get advantage. It had a bigger purpose. But once you knew that you knew you had to act, and it usually went against the grain of everything else, but it was done in a manner. Look how Joseph went against the grain of everything. He actually helped people. His going against the grain lifted people's lives. Esther's going against the grain lifted people's lives. It didn't gain her power. I mean, they got more power, but it, it wasn't, it, it was, it was different. It was not from a motivation. I want more power. If I have more power, then I could do something. They did something when they had no power and therefore they put, were put into powerful positions. So, so, but their identity is what brought them to that place. And I, I would echo the point where it's not a, it's not from an aspect of, well, let's just rebel against the current system. And that means you'll be on the correct side, on the truthful side. And it, that doesn't really work either because there's a current system that's in place because someone or a group of people built the system with the design to promote truth in life or whatever the goal was. And you just rebelling against that system for the sake of rebellion does the same thing you're just at a different starting point. And so we have to get rid of those ideas and just be open to the truth that the father speaks. And that can look different from what we've grown accustomed to in our current environment at times. But again, it's not, you're not looking just to be alternative and rebellious, but if the truth happens to go against the current flow and the grain, then so be it. But the cool thing about if we will take the Bible back to the perspective from a position of sonship and your father reading it to you and exposing what he's doing in the Old Testament, you will have a baseline of how the truth interacts. You know, it's interesting, even when Jesus returned and he's on that road to Arimathea that we were talking about, what did he do to make their heart come alive? They took them back to the scriptures that were founded before that validated who he was. He didn't try to come up with a new idea. The existing mm -hmm. truth coming to life was enough to validate who he was, and that made their heart come alive. So there has to be this baseline of the truth of the word, yet at the same token, the lifeness of the spirit, so we can have the right perspective of how to actually interact with that truth. But the truth still remains the truth. And so that has to become the anchor point. Otherwise, there is really no belief. If you don't have a baseline of truth, what you're always just in feeling mode. And you, it, now you're just going to spend your life trying to make the world around you better to make you comfortable. And, and you, you can't get there that way. So yeah. next week, I thought we may, why don't we hit, um, I'd like to take some time going through how Hebrews says, talks about the heroes of faith and how they weren't even worthy of the world that we live in. And yet those same characters, there's more books written about what they did wrong than what they did right. So if God has a good view of them, that the world wasn't even worthy and they were, they pleased God, how is it that we have a view of how we're going to try to fix them? So next week, I thought we'd just go ahead and tear apart the life of Jephthah. If you haven't read about him, he's this outlaw warrior that ends up leading Israel as a judge and makes a vow to God and ends up having to kill his daughter when he gets home. It's a very fun story to start causing your mind to go, what in the world is going on here? How is he written in Hebrews as a man of faith who pleased God? Like, how can that be? What kind of tyrant would go and do something like this? So we're going to hit that. I think we could hit that one next week and, and look at it from what did Jesus see in this man? 
What did God see in this man? What did the spirit of God see in this man? What was in them to cause them to rise up? And this brings us back to the question that you brought up earlier. You were talking about our identity and our value doesn't come from other people. So then why do we need other people? Oh, that's a great question because we absolutely need other people. There is the difference between me seeing, you see what's in me, I see what's in you. And so we spend a lot of time, even if we're correcting each other or throwing a different view, we lift each other up into what you really are. That's the role of the body. I'm going to keep reminding you what you really are. You're reminding me what we really are. We come by and we encourage each other and lift us up, not in what I want you to be, but in what the Father has already said what you are. And now we're in the lifting and we absolutely need that, which is a big difference. So we'll get into that next week, the story of Jephthah. Bit. And I've, I've been saying this for a few episodes now, but especially since we're going to be talking about Jephthah and it is a pretty intense topic. So if you guys haven't yet, um, go back for a few episodes and listen to the last few episodes just to get some context and some understanding of where we're coming from with things. So we'll be back next week. We appreciate you guys being with here each and every week. So until next time, stay in the fight.